Today is Sunday, May 10th in 2020, and this is Celtics Beat here on CLNS Media, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of your Boston Celtics. Evan Valenti filling in for Adam Kaufman here today. A very happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there in the Celtics universe and beyond. Quick here, 363, episode 363 with the Athletics. Jared Weiss is brought to you in part by Awaken 180 and by BetOnline.ag. Go to BetOnline.ag right now for your exclusive sign-up bonus. So heads up, full disclosure here. Uh, so my microphone, my normal Blue Yeti microphone, totally crapped up because me, an idiot, spilled hot sauce on it. So you're going to notice a huge difference in audio quality between now and and the actual podcast. So my bet on that, just to get you know. Uh, but without further ado, here's Jared Weiss. Evan Valenti filling in for Adam Coffin, uh, a quarantine cast for Celtics Speed here on CLNS Media, the leading online provider of audio video coverage. Celtics joined this week by the Athletics, Jared Weiss, formerly of CLNS Media. Uh, was one of like the OG members of CLS Media, but has moved on to the Athletic. There's a whole bunch of stuff with them, but we're going to get into a whole bunch of stuff that happened uh, pretty recently. There was a, a great call between the commissioner and the, NFL, the NBA Players Association, which we're going to discuss a lot here on the show. Before we get to that, Jared, how are you? How's quarantine life been? Where are you binging right now? Uh, I just started The Sopranos. I, I was just I was long overdue. I never got around to it. Unfortunately, the only scene that I had ever seen was I walked in the room while my parents were watching the final scene ever in the in the series finale. So I already know how it ends. Which I guess Everybody it's already. Ends. I'm not going to spoil it, spoil it, but if you if you know, you know. It doesn't really matter that I know how it ends. So it's fine. So I'm I'm enjoying that. And Handmaid's Tale was the other one. Handmaid's Tale is incredible and. I've had a few friends tell me for a long time I got started on that, and it really has lived up to the hype. And then I'm watching tons of old basketball. We were just talking about that before we went on. It's been one of the like upsides of being stuck with no actual basketball has been that, you know, I've, I've like watched all the Celtics greats to a certain degree, you know, watch highlights, watch a couple games here or there, but never really kind of dug down and really studied those games. And so that's been as someone who's like a real basketball junkie and somebody that likes to write about how the game is evolving. I, I don't think I had enough of that backbone in the history of the game. And I think I'm really boning up on that. That's been a lot of fun. Well, I'm for, we're never going to see the video of this, unfortunately, for those people out there in the, the podcast world. But like, if you could see Jared, he's like two or three picky rings away from being on the Sopranos with the hairstyle he's got going on right now. <laughs> I, I'm just going to be frankly honest about it. It is luxurious. It's just luxurious. The flow is excellent. I know you don't normally keep your hair that long, but you, again, you're like a velvet jumpsuit and like a pinky ring two away from being a like a, a, a legit Italian. I would go nylon. I could I couldn't pull off velvet. I'm not velvet. I'm not that I'm not that smooth enough. But I uh, I didn't know my hair could get this long, so it's definitely been fun. I'm probably not even going to cut it. After this is over, I'm going to see how long I can push it, see if it goes, like, full shoulder hair length and all that stuff. Oh, yeah, there you go. Get the Kelly Olenek going. Oh, yeah. Uh, I've always wanted the man bun. Yeah. Oh, we we all do, but not everybody else can pull it off. It's, it's actually, I've thought about it, and with what I got going on right now, I might be able to pull it off, but I also think my hair is, like, too thick for that. I don't think it'll actually work. But, you know, there are, I'm going to rock this. I've decided that I'm going to rock this for quite a bit. Um, when we're finally like back to normal, quote unquote, and I'm going to go out looking like uh, a mixture of quarantine Paul Rudd and quarantine John Krasinski. I'm kind of like 
in the middle of both of them. I'm not you really do, quite sure which one I you do. Look, you look exactly like Paul Rudd with a beard right now. Now that you say yeah. that, wow, that's incredible. It's not, it's not yeah, Paul, Paul Rudd can do it all. Even host a Celtics beat podcast. He really he could. Can. Yeah. You know what? He probably has the much more interesting one than I have. I love his like hot ones. I, uh, he was such a badass in hot ones. He went right through all of, I think it was like, um, like fried cauliflower. I think he'd wings. We went through all the sauces, no drink. I was like stunned that Paul Rudd could do that. But of course, Paul Rudd can do anything, including um, hosting Celtics feet. Um, have you, you and I talked a little bit before the show because I do want to get some Celtics stuff into it. Before I actually get to that, um, I have come around. You and I had a little discussion about community and how good community is because I've, I've been binging a lot of comedy. I've, I've binge watched New Girl. Uh, community and I'm almost done with Brooklyn Nine-Nine already because like you know look we're in the middle of a quarantine and you know it's easy to get down so instead of watching things that could be maybe depressing I've watched things that are funny and my first take on community was like okay this show's like kind of funny but it needs like I don't know I wasn't quite sure exactly where it fits in the pantheon but once you hit and I was talking to Westerholm about this a little bit earlier as well once you hit season two like season two season three are just absolutely unbelievably funny. They're, they're, the writing is excellent, and I've gone back and rewatched them since. They're, like, funnier the second time through when you know how, like, the show works. Because it, it takes, like, a season, season and a half to, like, really figure out the chemistry and figure out what everybody's character really is. So once they figure it out, that show is a freaking juggernaut. And unfortunately, you know, like, too soon. Like, because Donald Glover became Charles Gambino and got super famous. <laughs> And then, of course, Chevy Chase, they probably just couldn't have him for that long because it's Chevy Chase. And he's just like, I'm out of here. I don't know how it went down. but Oh, it was it, – uh, things Things went bad with Chevy Chase. That uh, that went sour pretty quickly. But yeah. it's, it's funny because I don't remember when we had that community discussion, but I actually just rewatched the entire show like uh, like last month. And yeah. it actually – it was a show that I always loved, but now it's actually, I think, one of the best shows ever made after rewatching mm-hmm. it. It may be being – you know, I watched it – or I must have been – late teens early 20s i think when it was on so my comedic like i was really into comedy back then but i think my my uh comedic sensibilities weren't nearly as matured as they are now and my writing sensibilities weren't as matured as they are now and i think i appreciate the show just way more now especially that just donald glover's acting is so unbelievably good he's he's just the most raw talented person of our generation it's yeah, like it's insane how he is just so masterful at with the energy and the nuances that he brings to every different type of endeavor that he gets into even though i think his last album was disappointing uh although i the more i listen to it the more i like it but whatever the point is is that that show is if you're somebody that enjoys satire that's like one of the best like satire pieces ever made uh although it's funny i got up to season six and then it jumped the shark really hard in season six when they lost like a lot of the cast and i'm i haven't even made it through season six it's it's look it's it's like uh the ending of any show is always tough like it's just hard to end the show when it's like so good but when you start losing characters like main characters like they did it's hard to like it's just kind of like eh, all right let's just get this over with if you don't want to although there is a I guess they're going to do a similar thing to Parks and Rec. They're going to bring it back for just like one night for, you know, money raising purposes. So like, I forget what charity they picked, um, but they're going to with, come back and do a show like uh, Parks and Rec did, I think. With with Donald Glover too. Yeah. I'm, I'm so jacked up to that. I, I, I'm so glad I, I caught up on that um, before, you know, this is all over with. Cause I, I was, people always told me it was just like one of the best shows and it ended too soon and all this stuff. And I was like, yeah, all right, I'll give it a shot. And then, 
uh, you know, two seasons in, I'm in like love with Allison Brie and uh, <laughs> think that uh, Abed and Trey are just like the are the funniest people like of all time. Um, but I do want to get back to Celtics stuff because obviously, you know, this is a Celtics podcast. I mean, we um, always do a 10-minute TV intro to every Celtics beat, right? Always. So things I mean, haven't I changed always... since I hosted back in the day. Good. Well, it's, well, it's also kind of like my interview style. I always like to try and do fun stuff off the top just to, like, loosen up the guests and then get into serious stuff later on in the show. Because, like, I remember and, – and sometimes I do the opposite. Like, so, like, I remember Gorman. I had Gorman on a couple of years ago. And there's always just a couple of questions I've always wanted to ask my Gorman. But I saved him for the end because I, I didn't have a ton of time with him and I didn't want to, like – take up his time by fucking around in the beginning of the show. I wanted to like get all the important stuff out. And then later on, just like see if I can just grab a couple of things. And I, we were talking about um, his send it in. Well, send it in Jerome, right? That call with Bill Rasley. He's on the call with Bill. And I was, and I was like, you laying out after that was so perfect for like the audience to like get hyped up over what had just happened. And then for you just to lay out like that for a couple of seconds and let the audience fuck itself and then come back in was like pure genius. And he was talking about a couple of things like that. We had a good conversation about um, how college basketball in comparison to the 80s completely sucks. Uh, um, and it's just way different. Like, and that doesn't suck in terms of like, it's fun to watch, so don't get me wrong. But like, just like, there's no, like the rivalries that don't exist anymore. You don't have guys there for four years anymore. And it like completely changes what college, you know, sports really is. So, and speaking of college sports, it'll be way different when we're done with this thing. Um, but did you, did you get around to listening to Marcus Smart's rap at all? <laughs> that, so I, I think I was, the, I was like the first one that tweeted it out. Cause I was, I was just flipping through Instagram and I, and I followed Trey Davis, who is his good friend who plays with the Red Claws and is the, the backup guard for the Red Claws. And, uh, and I think they're both back in Texas together now. And, mm-hmm. I and it started and like the beat just started playing while I was opening Instagram, and I was like, "Oh wow, this is actually not so bad." And then Smarty appeared, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is this is the this is the most important song in Celtics history." And I don't know, I, pull, pull up, shoot Jason Tatum. I think it's a, little, <laughs> it's a better anthem than what what Smart just came out with. Actually, there's another Jason Tatum song that I'm actually uh, doing a story on that I think will be out in a few weeks or so. Um, yeah. But I, I will I won't give away too much on it. But it's actually it's actually really interesting, and I've I've been sitting on it for a long time, and we're finally gonna run it. But um, the there's a few bars in there that are really good. I don't know if it holds up the entire time, but uh, and the delivery might be a little too mumble rap. Like mumble rap can be good, but you don't want to overdo the mumbleness of it. You want to have a little bit of clarity to it to make the mumbling work. And I think they might have over mumbled, but. Overall, it's definitely, especially compared to like that Aaron Gordon song that he dropped, oh, which was just was way yeah. too cheesy, way too oh. over delivered. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I think I think that was definitely a lot better. I, I'll give yeah. him I'll give him a B plus. I'll give him a B I thought Smart's verse was the best of all of them. So just you know, kudos to Smart on that one. Um, but I just thought it was funny that he tried. I mean, we're all trying to find like things to be good at, like instead of you know just to occupy our times. Like I just I started cooking a little bit more. I started going on hikes a little bit more. I mean, look, you might if you, if you have the time, you might as well dabble a little bit of rap if you, if you have the time. Sure. Um, big stuff happened uh, Friday night, and Woj went on a tweet screen late Friday night um, that Adam Silver had a call to the Players Association. And the big thing that I think that came out of it, well, a lot of big things came out of this, but the biggest thing off the top 
seems like nothing is going to be decided on until June at the earliest. Um, and it seems like, you know, the NBA is like, look, we got to, the, the big thing I thought as well was we got to wait until testing becomes a little bit easier and a little bit more public before we even start thinking about putting guys, you know, in one area or two disclosed areas. Because they, they testing needs to be something that can be flipped around pretty quickly because, you know, if somebody gets, you know, tests positive for it, um, you, gotta, you know, they don't want to shut the whole league down, but they want to at least, you know, give a couple of days to everybody tested if that person's been in contact with. So for those of us who are starved for content, like you and me and everybody else that's waiting for the NBA to resume, unfortunately, Jared, it looks like we're not going to know anything until for at least another month, which is a bummer. I mean, we know that we're still at the very least two to two and a half months away from right. a game being played. There's no, no, I don't think there's any question about that. Um, especially because it's not it's not baseball, you know. It's it's basketball. It's it is close quarters, tight contact sport. You know, like I feel like baseball, you can at least get out there, and it, it's like you know the catcher is the catcher and the batter are kind of pretty much the closest. Like in baseball, they should just have have like a no pickoff rule, I guess probably, and that way everybody is at least six feet apart pretty much the entire time. And just have open dugouts where guys are sitting far apart from each other, or something like that. Whatever. The point is, it's like baseball is so much easier to pull this off. And like in basketball, everybody's everybody's standing within arm's reach of reach of each other, literally just like spitting out their guts on each other the entire time. It's like it's if if one guy has it, the, the NBA was smart to shut down because if. Rudy Gobert went, and he obviously wasn't the only guy that tested positive. And it certainly seems like there were probably a bunch of other guys that had it that never got released. Silver kind of hinted at that in this media conference call, which was, I want to say three weeks ago at this point. But, um, if they, if one of those guys went out there and played, they would have infected everybody. Like the multiplying effect would have happened so quick. And it's, I just don't under, I don't know. I think there are tons of, feasible ways for them to get back to playing. I just don't under, I don't really see a feasible way for them to deal with somebody testing positive once they've started playing and then them continuing to have games. It, that was the, that was the confusing part of, of a lot of that. They were like, yeah, they just want to sit down for a day or two and get back to it. And I'm like, well, if somebody tests positive, how is that even possible? You can't do that. Like it, it just seems, it, it sounds like we'd go through the same thing again. Where they have to shut down completely and, and wait for it to kind of pass. Like I don't know how you have if you have somebody test positive around a bunch of guys, it, you're going to only shut down for a day or two. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me at all. Yeah, because I mean the big thing is so all the guys that we know about that tested positive, I believe all of them were symptom free, but there are a lot of guys in the league that probably would not be symptom free if they got it because they have some sort of underlying condition or the randomness of it or, you know, whatever other factors that, that, cause I don't think we have any understanding yet of what causes you to present symptoms versus not. Uh, but like there's, there are guys in the league that have asthma. There are guys in the league that have, I believe there's a few players that have type one diabetes. Um, there's people in the league, just like with other conditions, like Larry Nance Jr. I know spoke publicly about the fact that he has Crohn's disease and Crohn's disease can be a, you know, an, it's an autoimmune disease that can make you more exposed to the, or, or make you more vulnerable to the virus. And he's not, he said he's not concerned about it. Um, but so like, there's, there's all sorts of factors like that. And then there's the compounding factor of family. So it seems like at, whether it's most players or just a, a big enough portion of the players don't want to be apart from their families. And 
there's i mean there's there there are people like uh like Vinny Sexpants and Gordon Hayward that have pregnant wives who they i don't know how those guys can play like how how can they play cuz i right. i mean uh forgive me uh, I, sh- I probably should know this i know this more conclusively but i'm pretty sure if you're pregnant that makes your exposure to the virus significantly more high risk so uh, I, yeah i i think I, i'm not a doctor but i think you're right on that yeah so like those guys they can't be it's it's one thing to even be separated from your pregnant wife especially in gordon's case where they have multiple young children already um and i I can't even remember off the top of my head now if she's had the baby or not but um it, it, it when the baby's born it's one thing like there are plenty of players that have missed the births of their children but like you still need to be as a father you still need to be there for your child's infancy like that is something right. that i think every part. single father wants to be there for yeah so the, they don't want to put themselves in the position where they would have to stay away for a long period of time away from their newborn baby so there's like all sorts of factors like that and it's just like it's it's going to create this uneven scenario where there's going to be a lot of players that don't want to, re- we, we know right now, don't want to return to the facilities or to practice. And apparently there are several players that revealed that they were being pressured unduly by their teams to get back into the facility where they don't feel comfortable. I know CJ McCollum has spoken publicly about that. Um, and then it's just going to get, it's like, it's one thing to go back to the facilities where it's a very controlled environment, but it's going to be way different going to a playing environment. So I think there's going to be a lot of teams where there's going to be a bunch of players who are straight up not going to play in the playoffs, including the Celtics. Yeah. It, well, it, again, it's, that's sort of the, we're sort of, as you said, two and a half months away, like that's just, that's probably pretty accurate. I mean, like the way they talked about it, they're going to, they're going to reevaluate in June and go from there. You have to wait for testing to be, you know, capable enough to, t- they need, I, said I guess they need 15,000 tests. They, you know, guess. They estimate that they need 15,000 tests to even get the league up and running again, which I guess they, they, seems to me, yeah, and why should they relate this? Like, it would be pretty easy for them to get a hold of 15,000 tests. They don't want to do that um, until the public has enough testing, you know, to go around to make sure they're all safe. Um, and then they're going to do at least, this is at least three weeks of like a mini camp, get guys back into playing shape. And then after that, maybe you can resume. Um, but it just, it, it, for people that are, sitting here waiting for you know the shoe to drop it's not going to drop for a very 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 long time like you're gonna you're more likely to see a a sport like baseball you know it's already starting in korea obviously but you're more likely to see a sport like baseball continue or at least start before we even get into basketball and like i was looking through um woja's piece um the other day or uh, earlier uh saturday and you know Again, this is buried in there. Quote, Silver said the NBA's hope would be that players test positive for COVID-19 won't require a team or season, but only the removal of a player amid persistent testing of those who had come into contact with him. Like, I don't understand how that's even possible. And then you have to start talking about, you know, if people don't want to play. You, you can't force people to play. Then you have to expand rosters a little bit maybe and do like, you know, um, you know, 10-day contracts or whatever the hell you have to do just to fill out rosters and expand. The, like, it's just the two-way it's players. Yeah, it's going to be They're, like kind of a mess. Yeah. Well, first off, I think there's, I, I would be shocked if they don't amend the rules with two-way players to allow them to play in the playoffs right now. Mm-hmm. A two-way player, if they're in their two-way contract, they are not allowed to play in the playoffs. I'm, I, I would be shocked if they didn't change that. And I think that's probably something that's going to be changed within a year or two anyway. It seems like most teams wanted that to be changed anyway. Um, but so there is, um, also don't forget, 
we don't know where training camps are going to be. Assumedly, they would be at the facilities that for the, each individual team. Then you have to transport everybody to the bubble because we assume it's going to be this either the Keith Smith plan in, at Disney World in Orlando or Vegas. So they're probably going to have to go with the bubble concept. But I assume if you're bringing everybody from outside of the bubble into the bubble, then there probably needs to be some sort of isolation period before you can then start bringing everybody together. So I'd imagine they have to probably wait a couple of weeks before they can even start playing because you could get exposed just in the transportation. Because I know one of the things that came out of that silver call was that the um, the teams are not going to be allowed to use their own private jets to fly players yeah. back home. Um, Cause most players have returned home or went to Florida or LA or, or in the Caribbean somewhere or whatever. So, you know, most of these players aren't even in their, or, or aren't even near their teams unless they play for like Miami or one of the LA teams or whatever. So, um, you know, cause I guess the reason for them doing that is I guess not every single team owns their own private jet. So it would give a competitive, unfair competitive advantage. But the problem then is that, how do, then how do these guys get back? Do they have to charter their own private jet? Do they have to fly commercial? And then what level of exposure risk does that pose by having them do that? I assume flying, uh, like high, like hiring wheels up or whatever those companies are that do private flights. I assume that's just as safe as using your owner's private jet. So I assume it's going to end up being that all these guys have to foot their own bill on a private jet, which of course, uh, Gordon Hayward, well, Gordon lives in Boston. It's a bad example. Um, I was going to say Kemba, but I think Kemba's still in Boston. Let's let's assume Kemba is not in Boston right now. So, right. Um, although he might he, he might be, I'm not sure. But if I Kemba know. wants to fly on a private jet back to Boston, he can certainly afford that a lot more easily than say Javante Green, who has been kind of bouncing around, you know, on minimum deals wherever he, whatever league he's been in is on a minimum deal right now. Like he can't afford that. I th- I'm pretty sure his teammates would just cover him anyway. Because I think it's going to be we're probably going to have to see a lot of the team of the league's high earning players paying out of pocket to take care of a lot of the guys on the bottom end, especially for teams that aren't in the playoffs. Cause there's going to be, have to be some sort of revenue sharing situation put into place because or system put into place because they're going to have to just go straight to the playoffs. It seems. Well, they do have to, well, they have to, they have to fulfill what well, they have to have 70 games with the RSNs, right? Cause that's, it's a minimum, you know, uh, in terms of like how many games that they have, I think they have to play seventy regular season games. I think, I think they're going to be breaking all of those. All I think they they have to throw. I, Silver has basically hinted at this that the CBA isn't equipped to deal with this type right. of situation, and I don't know if there is some sort of opt out situation for natural disasters or emergencies in those RSNs. I'm sure. I'm sure there are most mostly most like legal contracts have that built into them. Um, but I'm pretty sure that those RSNs are just going to have to not be fulfilled to a certain degree, and that's going to be some sort of battle that the NBA is going to have to wage which, with each of the networks. Quick break from Jared to tell you today's show is brought to you in part by BetOnline.ag. With currently no NBA, no NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. And well, you'd be wrong about that. Our exclusive partner, BetOnline.ag, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on from their online casino to poker and blackjack as they are bringing Vegas literally to your living room, wherever your computer is. Missing the NFL? No problem. Bet Online has live daily Madden simulations that you can wager on. And if you're in entertainment betting, you can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. Open 24 hours a day. 
and all online. Visit the website or use your mobile device and join today to receive your new welcome bonus. Bet online, your online wagering solution. If you've been following me on Twitter, you may have noticed I'm finally doing something about my weight and my health. I decided it's time to get back to my MVP weight. So I started Awaken 180 Weight Loss. I'm already feeling fantastic. The best part, I'm already down nine pounds. I could have hit the treadmill for a year and not seen the results that I've had with Awaken 180. Just like during my plan days, Awaken is all about losing weight and focusing on nutrition, coaching, and science. No pills, no gym. As you know, I travel a ton, but no worries there because Awaken 180 has a worldwide program. I can still have my weekly consults via Skype. When I'm back in Boston, I visit the government center location. Besides healthy living, my favorite part about Awaken is free support for lives. We are all stuck at home these days, but join me and get healthy. Call the solution for weight loss. Awaken 180. Weight loss. Get on board just as I did. Go to awaken180weightloss.com. Right. But so even with that, in the, in the, you have like a, some, it has to be some sort of warm up though, right? And then you get to the, you know, what do you do with these bottom teams that are like a Golden State or a, or a New York? The Knicks are completely out of it. You know, what do those teams do? You know, how do you get those people motivated to play basketball again? It's like, yeah, we're done. We're done. We've been done for a while. Um, and you're going to have to try and get those people to be motivated to play against, you know, um, a, a Boston or a, or a Philly or whatever. Like, it, it doesn't really work. And then you have, like, teams in the bubble, like uh, like New Orleans. Like, I, everybody at the Southern State was watching the New Orleans-Memphis battle. Like, could New Orleans catch Memphis and knock Memphis out of the playoffs, get that, get those lottery balls moving? the Celtics might be able to flip that pick, you know, either into something really good this year or, or transfers to next year or whatever. Um, what do you do with those teams? There's been the discussion of the play-in tournament. But, again, none of this can really happen. And what's the, what's the realistic wrinkle here is, like, you have different sets of rules for every state, like, around the country. Like, some are reopening. Governor Baker here in Massachusetts, you know, we're, we're all still, at, you know, stay-at-home quarantined until the 18th of May at least. And, you know, he's moved that date back a couple of different times, um, this most recent one, I think, to start planning how they want to reopen in stages. And I, I, I haven't read anything, maybe you know about this, if there are, if there are any plans to open up the, the, the public training facility when Baker says it's ready to go or when we can or even earlier, I don't, what, what is the plan there? Uh, I don't know, but I, this is purely speculative. I would expect that they will be cleared to open. I think they'll be one of those businesses that's cleared to open. And, and that makes total sense because it's, uh, it's like they basically have a private office space with, with they're not, they're not, uh, consumer facing. So it's yeah. their own employees. Like they have pretty, they have pretty strict control over who's coming into the building and how they can treat them. And they have significant resources to ensure that they do that safely. So I would expect beyond the fact that it's like the Celtics and they could easily lobby to get, you know, to get taken care of. I think they should qualify to be one of those organizations that's able to reopen and go into the office. So I don't know. I have no idea if they're planning on doing it right away on the 18th. I haven't. I mean, I've tried, I've tried asking a few different ways, but obviously nobody's uh, revealing anything. And I think that they're using the, the teams that are opening right now 
as their case study to inform how they want to go about it. It's only been, as of our recording, it's only been about, or I guess as of this podcast release, it's only been about 48 hours since a few of these facilities have opened. So I'm sure, I'm sure, I, I would assume the league is going to have the teams, like I think Cleveland is open so far. Uh, is there anybody else that's open so far? That's I know Cleveland has, because Kevin Love talked about how great it felt to go back to the facility after like, yeah. a little bit of, it was a little weird at first, but like it was something comforting of, of going into the facility and getting up some shots and working out a little like return to normalcy, so to speak. So uh, I, I, I only well, have seen we know, that. So we know, I know Dallas is not opening yet. Um, Atlanta is not opening yet. Mark Cuban just spoke about how they're not going to be open or it's that they're not going to be opening whenever it is that they're allowed to. If it's pretty sure they already are. I know Houston was supposed to be, but I can't remember if they did it or not. Right. Um, I know Houston on the day that like their lockdown was ending, they were having, they were having a press conference that they wanted media to attend at the Toyota center. I remember talking to Kelly Eco, our uh, Rockets reporter. And I'm pretty sure Kelly was like, there is no way in hell that I'm showing up to that. Cause it's Texas oh, yeah. and everyone's going to show up with, with, uh, you know, sniper rifles that are covered in COVID and stuff like that to the press. It's like, you know, it's like, they're crazy down there, but um I would. Could you just like watch? I'm just gonna broadcast it. Can you just like watch it live? Like, yeah, you have to be there. I mean, yeah. I would say maybe to ask the question. I guess, but other than that. I mean, for Tita's pretty desperate to just get whatever business he can oh, right now because his business is is falling apart, uh, which nobody seems to feel bad for him about. But nope, nobody, <laughs> nobody does. But what the league, what the league should be doing is they should be having uh, whoever is you know they have like a health czar now who's in charge of of uh, safety operations for, for these teams as they reopen, they should have that person do a zoom call with the rest of the league to basically say like, these are the best practices, practices that we're doing. Here's what we've realized as soon as we open the doors that we need to do, needed to do differently, things of that nature. And everybody should be in constant communication. Yeah. Well, another big thing that came out of this call was, you know, how the lack of fans, is going to affect the upcoming salary cap and luxury tax because I think, it's, I think it was the number is 40% of the BRI comes from gate sales. And that's a ginormous number. And it's going to affect teams, you know, for the near future and, and maybe even, I mean, they'll recover. I think they, I think, I think Bobby Marks on that podcast, that it would be like, five, you know, maybe two years before they get back to normal in terms of like cap and all that stuff and how they're, they're going to figure out caps moving if they want to do that. But look, the cap's going way down for next season because they're not going to have fans at all this season. And then next season, I, mean, I don't even know when they'll decide to start putting fans in the stadium. But again, you can't put fans in the stadium until you have like good testing and maybe even some sort of vaccine. I don't know. They're trying right now, I guess, in, in um, Korea to have fans in the stands. It looks like a Rays game, which is fine. I'm glad people are there and enjoying themselves with masks on their social system and everything. But you know, I don't think we'll go back to having, you know, raucous crowds for, you know, a, a while. I mean, I don't even talk about a long while. And that affects the Celtics in a pretty big way because they have some pretty big contracts coming up here, including uh, a, a, a potential um, exercise option for Gordon Hayward at an obscene number. And then you have the, the new contract extension coming for Jason Tatum, which is going to be, you know, the max. So Boston looks at the – I don't know how that even looks, what that looks like when you have – the the cap being manipulated so much in a negative way very very shortly like those those have to be I mean if you're Danny Ainge and Mike Zarin I'm sure they thought about this already but like hit J, Jason Tatum's next contract has been I think somewhat altered um pretty drastically am I wrong on that 
So the, I think the cap not expanding is good for them because Tatum's steel is going to be they, – they, it's – by the end of February, he got a five-year max extension. It was oh, like, absolutely. That was locked in. You know, yeah. He was probably worth it already, even before that happens. Uh, and like he, he, he did like two years worth of improvement overnight. And we'll see. We'll, we'll see yeah, if that, the all-special election show happened, and all of a sudden Tatum was like, "Yep, now we're now I'm going to be absolutely ridiculous." I went back yeah. to watch Tatum highlights today just for this particular purpose. It was great. Yeah, and I, I have another story on that coming up, and I had a story on I had a huge feature on that right when uh, when the um, when the the uh, shutdown started. But so uh, that's I think that is good for them, and it pretty much locks in Hayward opting in for the final year of his deal. There's no way, there's no way he's going to leave at this point. Cause no there was, there were no good teams with cap space to begin with. And then now they have even, they're going to have probably a lot less cap space. There's just, there's no, there's not going to be any money out there available for them, especially from a team that's contending the way the Celtics are. So unless something, unless he's really upset with his role here, which he definitely is not, I know that he's like, things could be better, but I think he's definitely pretty satisfied with his role in Boston, considering how successful the team has been. I mean, if this team flames out in the playoffs, that obviously changes things, but I think this is pretty much the best competitive situation for him short-term and long-term that exists in the entire NBA. And he's going to get paid the max next year. And they'll probably They'll probably want to retain him if he can give them a bit of a hometown discount. I feel like he would, if they could get like a four year, a hundred million dollar deal with him either this summer, if he opts out or the summer after that, I think they would probably take that assuming he's still performing at the level that he's performing. I don't know if he'd be willing to do that, but I think, I think it'd be a pretty fair deal, especially considering his age. Yeah. His role in the team is, is because when it's hard because he's been hurt and he's, and he's, obviously the leg injury to start and then but he's had a couple like nagging injuries this year which have been really annoying because usually when he starts to really get comfortable with how we like how the how the game's going and, and, and start to really feel his uh uh as good as he possibly can on the floor in terms of like chemistry wise making like, cutting the right way you know being in the right spot at the right time getting guys open all that stuff he seems to get like a nagging injury where he's offered to be just to come back and like relearn all that stuff again which is really annoying um but like you think about Tatum, his he's gonna whatever the max is, he's gonna get it. You have Hayward's contract obviously coming up again. I, I you gotta if you could bet on it in Vegas, it was one of the easiest football time. He's obviously gonna lock in. Then look at like Jalen Brown, who just signed an extension this past off season and locked himself into a deal. Like I don't know what the money would look like for him coming up as he were to enter free agency as again a top free agent. But the money I don't know where the money would be coming from. As you said before with Hayward, like. There are not a lot of teams out there with cap space, at least winning teams out there with cap space. And then if they had cap space before, it's going to be less now. So we look at Jalen Brown being like, hey, like I know people were like, oh, man, that's, that's a ton of money for Jalen Brown who doesn't accomplish anything. And then it was like, oh, that's a steal of the contract with Danny Ainge and stuff. It looks like a great contract. Now for Jalen, it's like, well, at least he locked himself into a pretty hefty deal right away before all this stuff happened. It was kind of a really smart move for Jalen to cash in when he did. Yeah, and don't forget, Jalen has a pretty big All NBA bonus in his uh, contract, so it'll be really interesting next year to see if he makes the All NBA team because he he was a fringe All Star this year that a lot of a lot of people felt that he should have made the All Star team instead of Jason Tatum because at the time Tatum hadn't taken that leap yet. Uh, but so you know, the, basically, it means it's highly likely Jalen is going to ascend to All Star status next year, considering all the growth he's had 
so far and the fact that he almost he just fell short of making it this year. So I would we should expect him to be an all-star next year. If he depending on how good things go next year, there's a chance he could make an all NBA team and that adds I think like two million a year onto his deal. And they're gonna be in the luxury tax. So that two million could turn into like an extra four to six million dollars as they go deeper into the tax. But so and don't forget they have uh Daniel Tice he has five million next year as a as a team option, I think, right? Yeah, but so so they have a team option on Tice, and Cantor has a player option. So you're base you're gonna have ten million dollars committed right there because they're obviously gonna keep Tice unless his knee falls apart in the next few couple of months. I mean, Tice Tice at five million is turning into one of the best bargains in the entire NBA. But so uh, they they're gonna have to they're gonna have a tricky thing where the summer after this one in that 2021 summer where there's going to be every single team trying to get in on the free agency because there's so many great free agents that year. Are they going to be able to keep Tice? Should they keep Tice? Will Rob Williams be ready to take over as a center or what other, you know, maybe Grant Williams is a center at that point. Maybe Marcus Smart is a center at that point. Who knows? But they're going to have like a, a pretty big decision to make there in addition to the fact that Hayward is going to be an unrestricted free agent at that point. I, um, I have, spent a lot of the season, it feels like forever ago when the season was actually happening, but I spent a lot of the, I'll say like, from like January, maybe December, January on, just apologizing vehemently to Daniel Tice for not thinking he was, in the beginning of the season, I was like, man, what is he doing out there? It doesn't look right. And then all of a sudden he became this, like, you can't, the Celtics work, pri- not primarily, but a big reason why their, their, their system works both, on both ends of the floor is because of what Daniel Tice does. Like, his ability to guard, you know, uh, wing defenders and centers by being 6'8 and stretch the floor on the other side and have good – like, I was so dead wrong about Tice being in the season. I've spent a lot of time – and I'm going to do it right now, again, apologizing to Daniel Tice about how wrong I was. The $5 million option that they have on him for next year is such an absolute steal for a player like that um, that it's – like you look at Clint Capella's contract, and it's such a like a laughable comparison to what Tice is, is because you can play Tice at the end of the game, so you can't play Capella at the end of the game. Um, and, and you know, you look at a guy like that uh, at the beginning of the season, where he again he, three balls wasn't you know going down as much, and he looked a little you know disjointed on offense, a little a little late on defense. But since again like December, he's been arguably like one of the most uh, indispensable players in, in, on Boston. And I mean that, like, sincerely. Even with the Tatums and the Kembos and all that stuff, uh, I, I'm just thrilled with what Taylor Tyson has brought to the team this year. Um, but this is the this is the weirdest timeline that we're currently living in, and it's just such a weird – like, we're trying to – like, you know, as a guy that's trying to, you know, uh, generate content, it's, like, hard to generate content right now. Like, what, what are the things that are on your mind that you're, like, trying to get uh, solved right now or trying to find stories on? Like, I, I just have a hard time. Yeah, I sympathize for a lot of the writers out there because I mean, some of you are covering, like some people that work newspapers are covering like actual hard news. And then some guys like you are like trying to create stuff out of nothing. How hard is that? Been? Oh, well, I don't cover anything hard. I cover the NBA. It's great. So, <laughs> um, and I, I should say quickly that Tice's three-point shooting this year has been pretty bad. And that's, that that definitely is a concern in the playoffs, I think. And I, I'm really curious to see if teams are going to just try to force him to take threes as much as possible. 
uh, and whether that's going to be a problem for them. But his defense has just been so great this year. I mean, just he, he's become one of the best pick and roll defenders in the league. It's been kind of shocking. So I didn't see it coming either. And there's, I don't think there's any need to apologize. You know, players will constantly pretend like everybody's hating on them and it's, and they're getting shafted by the media, but like, it's like most of the time we just have pretty reasonable expectations or lack of expectations. And if we see you exceed them, then we're like, all right, cool. Good for you. It's like people over uh, players tend to, I think, create problems or create enemies for themselves that aren't really there. And we've certainly seen a lot of that in the MJ doc. Uh, uh, Tice is not one of those guys, but it's, it's ridiculous, but I love it because it's, it's one part, part of what makes them great. Um, But so, for me, I mean, I've I've been really enjoying, I think we kind of talked about this before, just like getting to watch all the old games, really understanding the evolution of the game. Um, although I don't think the game changed that much between like the 60s and the mid-80s, but it was really interesting to see how the modern game just kind of really suddenly uh, appeared in the 90s. And it's changed pretty, it's definitely changed a lot over the last five years. But from, I feel like from the 80s and 90s, it became almost unrecognizable and that just like they started to spread beyond beyond the three-point line they started to run high pick and roll like you you don't really see pick and roll at all in the first 30 years of the league and if you do it's more like snug pick and roll where it's like right on the block where it's like the ball handler curling really tightly around the big man it's not the high pick and roll that we see now where it's the it's the the screen is up top above the top of the key or nowadays it's like well above the top of the three-point line and you're trying to play out in space and trying to find an open jump shot for the ball handler or get the big man to pop into a space like that's something that kind of really started like it really seems more in the late 90s um it was kind of an evolution out of Jordan where Jordan was just, he was able to get the kind of looks that people can usually only get out of pick and roll. He was able to do that out of a lot of isolation, a lot of the kind of more eighties influence style where guys were playing from like the free throw line extended, which was the elbow back then, you know, now we think of the elbow as the point where the three point line goes from the straight line on the sideline to where the break is and starts to curve. Mm -hmm. But back then the elbow was like a couple steps to the right of the free throw line. And that's where they would either make the entry. Like that was the pinch post area. If people that have been re- uh, reading up on the triangle lately, that's kind of the, the pinch post area where uh, Jackson evolved it so that players would get beyond the three-point line and play out off of that pinch post area. But like in the 80s, that pinch post area right there next to the free, the free throw line, that was like kind of the extent to how far you would spread out the offense. And you would have like Larry Bird there, throwing it into Kevin McHale on the block. There would be another big man, maybe even right next to Kevin McHale, who would try to screen for him. And that's how they played from like the 60s all the way to the 80s. They kind of had different variations over time. But it was like, it was basically just like you try to enter it to the big man and you would just kind of go back and forth or you try to swing it around. And now it's so far spread out and there's so much more motion. And I always kind of felt like I loved the way the game is played now way more than in the past. And seeing the way the game was played in the past has really doubled down on that for me. So I've been trying to write about that as much as I can. Yeah, I, I used to go back and watch past games, like the amount of what I'll say are bad shots. Drives me. And if there are bad shots now, it's mainly like guys like taking like ill-advised jump shots, like early in the shot clock, or like with like with too much, you know, a guy with his hand in your face with like 17 seconds in the shot clock when you get that shot at any time. Like now a bad shot, like when I go back and watch older games, is like 
why did you just take an 18 like why did you just take that 22 footer when you just step back a little bit or when the three-point line's not even there like it's just so congested and everything is like in that lane it just feels again it feels a little weird when you watch it but it's, it's a I think a valuable rewatch to understand you know how the game has evolved and how a game can evolve to be something else it's like there's another iteration another another um evolution coming at some point I don't know what the hell it's going to be but you know it'll make us be like oh the game was better back in my day I can't you know pace and space baby I, I mean I don't know what it looks like there's so much more post action in in past games where like the ball like always finds a way to touch the post you know the majority of the game where now like you'll you'll go you know a lot of possessions where the ball barely even hits the post, like for without other than like somebody driving to the basket, not like a, a way to facilitate a play. You know, a lot of things are facilitated from the outside, not the inside. It's just weird. Yeah, I mean, back in the '80s, and I guess for most of the early parts of the game, it would be that you wanted, for the most part, to run your offense through a big man that commanded double teams. And so, with mm-hmm. the way with the way that illegal defense rules were back then. And the fact that you had hand checking, so you were allowed to get physical with perimeter ball handlers, it made the most sense as an offense to bring it down to the post where teams had to double, and then you could swing it around quickly and you would find an open shooter. Well, nowadays, because of the way that they that we have help defense set up, it's actually having the ball out on the perimeter that usually requires teams to help over and create that exposure. So it's, I like the way that it's really decentralized because it creates, you know, I, I know that nowadays people maybe that are more, um, that are less familiar with the way that the game is played at an intricate level or are relatively newer to the game. They think that every team plays exactly the same way and that it's very bland and all teams do is check up three pointers. But in reality, I think that there's more variation in the way the game is played because teams are less dependent on just working it out of the post. So I think it's created, you're using the entirety of the court and you're using way more space on the court now. And so it allows you to mix things up way more. Jared White of The Athletic. Uh, Jared, plug some stuff that you have coming up here. That way we can we can make sure when people need to find you, they can find you and read your stuff. Trying to think, you know, we actually, we just launched a fan survey for the Celtics on the athletics. So definitely go fill that out. I don't know when it closes, but I'm pretty sure it'll still be open when this uh, drops, but it's about 50 ish questions about everything about being a Celtics fan from where you watch, how long you've been a fan, what you think of the front office and ownership, what you think of the roster. And uh, so we have, we had hundreds and hundreds of responses already. We'd love to hear more from you. So definitely do that. And then uh, I have a bunch of random crap that you should read on The Athletic right now. Plus, subscribe to the, uh, what is it, Grant Williams and Taco podcast? That's right, the Grant and Taco show. So we uh, we initially launched that with a short six-episode run, and we, we were going to plan on – we were planning on doing it every other week, but right now with the shutdown, there's nothing to really talk about. So we're going to – I think we're, we're hoping to bring that back once the season is starting to come back around. So we'll definitely have more episodes in the future. Uh, but there are – if you go to the Anything is Potable feed, in uh, mm-hmm. iTunes, wherever you get your pods, you'll find the Grant and Taco episodes there. And that Anything is Potable show, that's really good. It's Jay King and Sam Packard. Uh, that, that's definitely a show worth listening to, in addition to Celtic Speed and all the fine offerings on the CLNS Media Network. Thank you. Well done. I, I will say I love the, um, as before we go, I love the bit on Game of Thrones where, like, Smart gets super defensive about Taco. Like, <laughs> they're like doing the, the voting and like tacos like on the list and smart's like basically this is bullshit if they wanted to play he should or if they wanted to go battle the dream team he should go battle the dream team like that's exactly what smart does like that's smart in real life like he's just 
he is ready to battle and die basically for all of his teammates. And I think they got, they nailed that in particular part of the whole thing. And the, Sean, the, I'll say the very, the very best part of that though, is when Taco starts talking and they like tell Taco to sit down and they yeah, like pull sitting. out and he's like, I'm already sitting and he's still like powering over everyone else. That was a pretty great touch. Yeah. Hey, the, the 2020 NBA season, the lost taco season, unfortunately. Jared, pleasure to have you. Thank you very much for joining me. Appreciate it. Have a, uh, stay safe out there with the rest of your quarantine here. Okay. I refuse. And that will do it for this edition of Celtics Beat here on CLNS Media, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of your Boston Celtics. Today's show is brought to you in part by betonline.ag and Awaken 180. Uh, real quick before we go, some thank yous to hand out. Again, thank you to Jared Weiss of The Athletic. Big shout-out to Adam Kaufman. Let me host. Uh, I'll host next week as well, so stay tuned for that. Uh, big shout-out to Larry, Nick, and John, and mostly you guys out there on a – you know, again, a weird time of life currently, but I, I'm thankful that uh, I have the ears of you guys for sure. You guys are awesome. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. We'll see you soon. Gino, let's get out. <laughs>